0: Thank you, Helen. Let's uh, just bow our heads to pray as we come to this new series and this new passage. Father God, we pray that this good news of which John preached and proclaimed would fill our hearts with fresh joy. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So as Philip was saying, there is a lot of bad news around at the moment. Petrol stations running empty, although I think things are beginning to get better. Uh, Lorry drivers, a shortage of lorry drivers to put food on our supermarket shelves. COVID running through our schools. Huge national debt and rising inflation. Gas prices soaring while winter approaches. Yes, there's a lot of bad news out there. And perhaps we ourselves have received some bad news recently from which we're still reeling. So it seems the right moment to inject some good news into our lives. And Christians, we have some very good news to tell. In, If you you look at the back of uh, your little service sheets, you've got the passage there uh, for uh, you to look at, and hopefully your Bibles open at home uh, at Luke chapter 3. We read in verse 18 that with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. And in fact, throughout these chapters in uh, Luke's Gospel, chapters 3 to 6, we're going to be based over October and November. This idea of good news comes up again and again. So in chapter 4, verse 18, we read that Jesus declares, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And again in chapter 4, verse 43, Jesus says, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns also, because that is why I was sent. Each time, the same Greek word for good news is used, "euangelismomai." I have you pronounce it, uh, from which we get the word "evangelical," the one who speaks or declares good news. Both John the Baptist and Jesus have good news to tell—news that is still fresh and wonderfully relevant for us today. Indeed, as the evangelist Rico Tice likes to say, if this is not the best news you have ever heard, you've not yet truly understood it. However, sadly, many today have yet to hear this good news. When it's taught in schools, it's taught as old news, as history, not as fresh good news. And so many, if not most in Britain today, most in Chesham, have not yet heard this good news for themselves. And even if we're Christians, we too need to hear this good news again and again throughout our lives for the sake of our own souls, but also for the sake of others, so that we're in a better position to share this news with those we live with and work with and play with. So over the next few weeks, we're going to look again at this good news that first John the Baptist and then Jesus came to tell. And this morning, we're going to start with John. We'll come back to the first chapters of of Luke uh, over Christmas. So we're going to start in chapter 3. And the first thing we see here is that Luke sets and locates John in real history. He says that it's in the 15th year of the reign of the Roman emperor Tiberius that these events took place. And that's the year AD 28 or 29, sort of crosses that, that time. When Pontius Pilate is also governor of Judea, and under them local leaders of Herod, uh, his brother Philip and Lysanaeus are in post as the local leaders. So the point Luke is making here is that this is definitely news that John has to tell. Just like you would read in a paper today or watch on your television screens. These are all real people, in real history. And this isn't therefore just a a good story. This is good news. So why was John's news good news? And at first glance, it doesn't look that promising. John begins by telling the crowds, coming out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath. John wouldn't have fitted well with the modern preference for unconditional positive affirmation. And yet, John has good news to share. Because truly good news is God news, and John has God news for us. First, that forgiveness is possible, and secondly, that the Messiah is coming. So let's look at those each in turn. First, John has good news to share because forgiveness is possible. Verse 3 We went into all, he went into all the country around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Whatever we have done, whatever wrongs we have committed, the good news is forgiveness is possible if we repent. We do not need to go through our lives weighed down by the burden of our mistakes bowed down by the guilt of having willingly and knowingly disobeyed God and the impact that has had on our own lives and on others around us, living in fear of judgment day and have been banished forever from the presence of a holy God. John preached a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness is wonderfully, gloriously possible. God, you see, would far rather forgive you than judge you, to welcome you into his presence, than to banish you from his presence. And that is very, very good news. Forgiveness, reconciliation, peace with God now and forever is possible, but it's not automatic. John is very clear that if his listeners want to enjoy forgiveness, they must repent And to repent means to have a change of heart, to turn from a life where our world rules, our word rules, our word shapes our decisions and governs our hearts, to a life where God's word rules. To turn from distrust of our maker to trust in him, to turn from rebellion against God's will to submission and obedience to his will. Repentance begins here, therefore, in the heart and then flows out into Our lives, which is why John says to the crowd in verse eight, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. The act of getting baptized in and of itself wasn't enough. It was not a little ritual to be gone through. And then bingo, forgiveness was forthcoming. Baptism was rather a visible sign of a change of heart that had taken place within you. And it's also why John says, do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children of Abraham. What he's saying here is that being born into a Jewish family, the original listeners to John, uh, a descendant of Abraham, doesn't guarantee them forgiveness. And neither does being born into a Christian family or in what was at once a Christian country guarantee our forgiveness. Repentance is something that each individual has to do for themselves. And if it's not something we have yet done, then don't delay, says John. The axe is already at the root of the trees. The tree of your life could topple at any moment. So hurry. Turn back in your heart to God. Now, we'll have all have sung, I expect, this the hymn Amazing Grace, written by John Newton who for many years hardened his heart against God. He became a slave trader, sailing the high seas over 250 years ago. Good looking uh, man there. Um, He loved to ridicule the Christian gospel and any who trusted in it. Few words came out of his mouth without a swear word being added and Christ's name being cursed. And... Let me um, just summarize the the moment of repentance in John Newton's life. It was as a passenger on board the merchant ship called the Greyhound uh, that Newton found himself at the center of a gale, which had ripped quickly through the sails and the upper decking. And the ship that had been in the tropics for quite a long time, had um, the woods had um, walked and broken, and the, the ship was quickly filling with water. He was sent down uh, below to get a knife in order to cut some, some rope and he narrowly missed a huge wave over the, the ship that dragged a, a crew member overboard. That, that would have been him. And hour after hour he helped to man the pumps and then after his strength was gone he was sent up to steer the rudder from the half-shattered uh, wheelhouse cabin where wave after wave flooding over him as he uh, held the rudder. Every time the greyhound went down into a dip in the waves, he feared that would be the, the end, that they, they would never come up again. And the storm brought Newton to his senses. For the first time in a long time, he, he wrote later, he dreaded death, that there would in fact be no forgiveness for him. He'd cursed God to his face over and over again. And I thought, Newton wrote later, that there never was nor could be such a sinner as myself. And for years, all this talk of forgiveness had meant nothing to him. He had mocked it. But now, death staring him in the face, Newton's greatest fear was that his actions had put him beyond forgiveness. And his heart began to change. In the sodden, battered cabin, he took his first step towards repentance, casting himself on the mercy of God. There was still much that he didn't understand, But from now on, he would trust what the Bible had to teach him. They got through the storm. He picked up a Bible on the ship that he found. And there was a different spirit. The defiance had left him. And he lapped up what the Bible had to teach him about forgiveness. And his repentance was was from that moment. uh, He didn't turn back, and it was ongoing. And that ingrained habit of swearing left him. In fact, we're told he never swore again. And if that was what repentance was like for John Newton, I wonder what repentance looks like for you and for me. And that was the question, in fact, John's listeners asked. Verse 10, what should we do then, the crowd asked. What fruit should they be evidencing of this changed heart John answered in verse 11, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. Anyone who has food should do the same. What he's saying here is that the evidence of a change heart towards God is seen in a change in our actions towards other human beings. A love for God is to be seen in a practical love for a neighbor in need. And John sends the tax collectors and the Soldiers who came to him for baptism back to the Ten Commandments for guidance as to what repentance looked like for them. No more stealing, no more collecting more money than required on no to line your own pocket, no more bearing false witness, no more lies and threats to extort money from the vulnerable. Such actions won't earn their forgiveness, but they do reveal a truly repentant heart. So depending on our own starting point, repentance will mean different things. For one, it might mean a change in our attitude towards our neighbor. People might walk past. Now we might think, how can I help them? To another, it might be the way we do business, or the way we claim our expenses. Or yet to another, a renewed commitment to telling the truth, whereas previously we would have lied to get our way out of a tricky situation. Repentance will mean different things to different people. But of course, such changed lives are very good news. The good news that forgiveness is possible when embraced changes us on the inside and on the outside and begins to trickle through society, reducing injustice, building community, shaping nations while lifting a weight from our own shoulders and removing that fear of judgment from our hearts. Yes, John has good news to share. This is the gospel we have to tell. And the more we reflect on this good news, the more we will want to tell it. That's our first point this morning. But John has more good news to share, which brings us to the second point of John's message. The good news is that the Messiah is coming. Verses 15 to 17. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. The crowds were on the right lines, weren't they? The Messiah promised by the prophets had indeed arrived. It's just that it's not John the Baptist he is the warm-up act. He's come to prepare the way, just as the prophet Isaiah predicted. John for now takes centre stage. The Messiah awaits in the wings backstage. The moment has almost come for John to exit the stage. By the end of chapter well, by the end of verse um, 20, he's thrown into one of Herod's cells. John gives us a flavor of the importance of This replacement he is much, much more powerful than John. I'm not even unworthy, he says, to untie the straps of this person's sandals, a task usually given to the lowliest of servants. John baptized with water, but this far more powerful figure will baptize people with the Holy Spirit. I can wash someone on the outside, says John, but this person will be able to wash you on the inside. I can speak about forgiveness, about being made washed and made clean. This person will actually bring it about. He is the one who will pour upon you the cleansing, renewing, empowering, life-giving Spirit of God. And help you to be indwelt by this powerful, life-giving Spirit. Here is, in other words, our Saviour. The one who John will make, will make John's promise of forgiveness Real. That is what the Messiah is coming in the world to do. And that is, of course, very, very, very good news. No other religion can guarantee your forgiveness on behalf of Almighty God. Here is the one person who can do that about to come from behind the curtain onto the stage of human history. And it won't be long. We'll see it next week who Luke reveals this person to be. Verse 21. You won't have it on your sheets, but it's it's there in our Bibles. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. So here is the one more powerful of which John spoke. The son of God, the chosen one, the promised Messiah, Here is the Lord from Isaiah's prophecy for whom John has been preparing the way. Here is the one Israel were told to expect for hundreds of years. Come, come to create a whole new way of life. And this is very, very good news. But John has more to tell us about this mighty personage. As well as baptizing with the Spirit, we need also to to notice that he will also baptize with fire. It is into the hands of this figure that the task of sorting out the wheat, the wheat from the chaff on Judgment Day, is to be placed. The wheat he will bring into his barn, and the chaff, the shell or the husk that contains the wheat, that has no nutritional value, is to be thrown into the fire and destroyed. And that sounds like somber news rather than good news. But notice how the baptizing, saving work of the Messiah takes Priority in John's mention of his ministry. God, through his son, would rather forgive you than judge you. To welcome you into his presence than to banish you from his presence. But if we turn our back on this offer of forgiveness, then this is the one who will say, you cannot come into my barn. There is no place for unforgiven people here. But John still includes that in his good news message because it means that all that is wrong with our world will one day be put right. Oppression and persecution, injustice, poverty, disease, death, sin will be burnt away and destroyed and the man that can do that has finally arrived and John is bursting to tell his generation the news. So returning to John Newton and his moment of repentance for a moment. Reflecting on his experience on the greyhound uh, later on, he, he described what was going on in his heart in these words. And maybe it's worth having these in mind as we come to communion this morning. The more I looked at what Jesus had done on the cross, the more he met my case exactly. I needed someone or something to stand between myself and a righteous God between a God who must punish sins and blasphemies and myself, who had wallowed in both up to the neck. I needed an almighty savior who should step in and take my sins away. And I found such a one in the New Testament. It told me that Jesus Christ was God manifest in the flesh, reconciling the world to himself. I saw that because of the obedience and sufferings of Jesus, God might declare his justice in punishing my sin, and declare his mercy also in taking that punishment on himself on the cross so that I might be pardoned. Because of Jesus, because of the cross, even he, John Newton, could be forgiven. And it was an offer he took hold of with both hands. And he spent the rest of his life telling others about it. He uh, left his life, uh, soon left his life as, as a slave trader and became a vicar only on the way up uh, through... So is, it, is it only in Buckinghamshire? Is it sort of the very top of Buckinghamshire? Northampton. Northampton. Northampton, there we are. Just over the border, just over the border. He ended up writing hymns and telling others the good news of forgiveness, that even someone like him could be forgiven. So can I ask you this morning, have you embraced this good news for yourself? And if you haven't, will you do so this morning, why not take this opportunity to say that, oh, this good news that others have experienced to be my good news? And if you have embraced this good news, when did you last share this good news with someone else? A family member, uh, a friend, a colleague, perhaps a stranger you met in the street? We don't have to have all the answers to all people's questions, but all we need to do is share what this good news means to us. We have, then, good news as Christians to share. Forgiveness is possible. And the one in whom forgiveness is to be found has come. He is the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is coming again one day to sort the wheat from the chaff. So this good news has an urgency to it. It would be wonderful, wouldn't it, to see it on the front pages of our newspapers where it belongs. But the modern, modern world doesn't do forgiveness, fall foul of Facebook, fall foul of Twitter, and we might quickly find ourselves cast out and cancelled. There is a lack of forgiveness in this new wave of thinking and living. But if we come back to Christ, if we have a society based on forgiveness, based on him, well then we'll find we're far more forgiving as a nation, as a society. We need Jesus and we need this message more than ever. Let's pray together now. Lord, by your Holy Spirit, would you just remind us of our need of this good news and where perhaps it's become perhaps old news to us and our hearts have grown cold to it. Would you, over this uh, new series in Luke's Gospel, just uh, refresh our hearts with the, the joy that this good news has been to so many over the centuries and is still to millions today. In Jesus' name. Amen.